once again for the opportunity to speak in the Master's name and to encourage you in your pilgrimage as we go through this world experience for a little while, awaiting the great day when our Savior will return. And we need to keep in mind as we study the book of Revelation that the key element, the key theme of this book is the fact that Jesus is coming again. And see, no matter how dark the clouds billow above our cultural existence in this broken world, we know that the light of Christ and the, the truth of his coming is, is a reality that we by faith are able to enjoy even while we live here. We know how the story ends, and Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Tonight we have a, a, a short chapter, uh, chapter 15. Uh, remember, chapter 14 is, is like the table of contents for the rest of the book and how that uh, judgment is coming. And it's going to come upon those that know not the Lord and those that uh, have received the mark of the beast. And it's interesting that uh, this chapter has actually two components, two parts, if you will. Uh, and the first part is the first four verses where we read about the, the song of the redeemed. And then uh, verses 5 through 8 deal with the significance of the, the vials or the bold judgments and, and the angels that are entrusted with them. So let's keep that in mind as we uh, read it together in Revelation 15. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee. For thy judgments are made manifest. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts, or living creatures, gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials, or bowls, or censers, full of wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever and the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled 
I want us to uh, think about this in the context of God's final judgments at the end of the seven-year tribulation. Now, to me, there's different uh, ideas about the judgments of Revelation, of course, but to me, it's like a telescope. If if any of you've ever had a pocket telescope where you take it out and and usually it has three components, it has three parts, and and you know the first part would be the seal judgments, and then the second part would be the trumpet judgments, and then the third part of that telescope would be what we refer to as the vial or the bowl judgments, and each of these judgments are more intense than the one preceding it, and it's uh, in that context of judgment that John is writing this to encourage the persecuted Christians of his day and ours uh, that we wait. Here's the patience of the saints. We're waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise of certain judgment and certain victory for all of the elect of God chosen in Christ even before time began. Now the scenes of heaven have actually occurred three times thus far in our study. They were uh, the heavens were opened in chapters four and five. Remember, he saw the the worship service going on in heaven. John carried away in the spirit, and heaven was opened before the seal judgments were were exposed. And then in chapter eight, verses one through six, heaven was again opened before the trumpets were blown to uh, to bring about judgment. And now in chapter fifteen, we see the heavens opened again for John to see the activity behind the curtain of time. See, he's looking into eternity to see what God is going to do in time. And, uh, and, and, and to me, that's intriguing. And it's also uh, very important for us to consider. He says, I, I saw another sign. Now, the book of Revelation is a, a book of signs and symbols. And we recognize that, but remember, a symbol only has as much weight as the reality behind the symbol. So, so we're looking at this in a literal context and, uh, and understanding that it's a spiritual book. It has a spiritual application all the way through. This is the time when heaven is open. John is able to see behind the curtain, and he says, great and marvelous, great and marvelous, Mega, great and marvelous, uh, seven angels having the seven last plagues. These are not angels that look like Clarence. These are mighty angels. These are angels like Gabriel. These are angels that have uh, a tremendous uh, power, a titanic power uh, that's unequaled. And these angels are, are being manifested to execute the will and decree of God himself. Now notice, for in them, in, the, in these uh, last plagues, is filled up the wrath of God. Now that's a, an important word for us to understand. The word wrath, orche, in the Greek language, literally means a settled or determined response to sin. A settled or determined response to sin it's not just a temporary uh, fit of anger wrath is a settled anger 
unchangeable anger that's about to be uh, poured out. If you're taking notes, please write down chapter 11, verse 18, chapter 14, verse 10, and 16, chapter 16, verse 19, and chapter 19, verse 15. If we had time, we would go to those verses, but we don't have time. Because there's one verse that I want to refer to before I go any further. And that's the verse that's found in the book of Romans, chapter 1. Turn with me there very quickly in Romans, chapter 1. I want you to see the use of the word wrath and how it is so fitting to the judgments that are about to be poured out upon the unbelieving, Christ-rejecting world. In Romans, chapter 1, listen to what he says. He says, uh, back up to verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto what? Unto salvation. Notice there's going to be a, a contrast. It's a continued contrast between what we have in heaven and what we experience on earth. On earth, we're going to experience um, demonic uh, battles. Uh, on, on earth, we're going to experience the dragon. Uh, the uh, brokenness of a world that is uh, rebelling, uh, continually rebelling against God. But in heaven, we have salvation. So in earth, there's suffering, groaning. But in heaven, there's glory. Now watch this. I'm not ashamed of the power, uh, gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation uh, to the whole universe. no. No, it's not to the whole universe, to everyone that believes. That's Brother Andy's sugar stick right there. All right, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, God's elect among the Jews and God's elect among the Greeks are going to be brought to faith through the mighty grace and wonderful power of God. Now watch this. Here's the gospel, verse 17. For therein, in the gospel, there is... Uh, is the righteousness or holiness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just, the righteous, shall live by faith. Verse 18. For, don't miss that. For the wrath of God. Here's the opposite of salvation. For the wrath of God is revealed where from? Where? From heaven. From heaven, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold or hold down, who, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, I wanted to go there because the Apostle Paul uses the same exact Greek word. He could have used three different words, but he uses the same exact word in Romans 1.18 as we find John using in Revelation 15.1. It is a settled response by God to sin. And it's always wrath. Now somebody says, well, Brother Jeff, you know, that's really not the kind of God that I hear preached on the radio and on the TV. And I hear people talking about the God of love. And you're saying that he's a God of wrath and judgment. And, and I'm kind of confused tonight because, after all, uh, isn't, isn't, isn't God kind of um, indulgent? Uh, you know, the Bible says he's merciful. The Bible says he's gracious. The Bible says that he's compassionate, and he is. But he's none of those things at the expense of 
his holiness at the expense of his justice. He doesn't ignore justice in order to be gracious. The great and lasting proof of that is the cross. That's why Jesus had to die in our place on the cross. He had to experience the wrath that we deserved so that we could receive the salvation that we don't deserve. So wrath is a very important study when you're studying the character of of the holy God of heaven. Now, verse 2, he says, And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. Now, we read about the sea of glass already in chapter 4, verse 6. But you know what it says in chapter 4, verse 6? It says, uh, and, and I saw before the throne a sea of glass clear as crystal. But notice something's different in this reading. Mingled with fire. There's fire, indignation, wrath, judgment. Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. You know, I think about this in the context of what happened in the Garden of Eden. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned and were cast out of the garden, God set a cherub on the east gate of that garden, and he had a sword of fire, a flaming sword that cut each way. To keep the way of the tree of life. You remember the story. Well that fire. Is what's under consideration here. The fire of justice. The fire of judgment. The fire that executes. The will of a sovereign God. Here it is. And it's this sea of glass. And that fire is burning. And it's about to be poured out upon the earth. And I saw as it were. A sea of glass mingled with fire. And I saw something else in heaven. And this is very intriguing to me. I saw them that had gotten the victory over the beast. And the word beast there is therion, which is the uh, destructive, uh, tearing beast. Um, The Antichrist and his world system. All of this, they got the victory over the beast. You know, that's, uh, that's comforting to me. Because I, I, I made to realize that when the saints of God pass from this life, when they die in this world, they don't, uh, they don't go into a non-existent state. They are actually going through the door into heaven itself. There is where they're at. And John is looking at them. Don't you uh, put, put it in the context of the first century church. A lot of these small churches that were all through the Roman Empire were being persecuted. They were being hunted down like our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. They're being hunted down and and actually killed, slain, because they will not deny their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they will not burn incense to the image of Caesar. They will not call Caesar Kurios, which is a reverent name for Christ, Kurios, Lord, uh, ruler, sovereign. Uh, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't ascribe that name to any man. And because of that, they died. So here are these assemblies all throughout the Roman Empire that uh, I doubt if there was one assembly that didn't have uh, knowledge of uh, martyrs in their midst, that, that, that didn't have uh, families that were 
uh, taken away from them because of their faith in Christ. They, they knew about that. And they might be troubled. They might be uh, questioning. Is it really worth it? Is it really worth it to suffer for the name of Christ? Well, then they hear this letter. They read this letter. And they realize that uh, the sufferings of this world are temporary. They realize what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, when he said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. See, it gave them a glimpse of eternity. So they saw those that had gotten the victory over the beast. And they were with the Lord in heaven. That's my point. They were already there in spirit. They were already there. They're in the land where of just men made, per just men made perfect. And, um, and they had gotten the victory over the... Oh, 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 I meant to mention this. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29... Uh, remember, Paul said, uh, our, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living Lord. Our God is a consuming fire. All right? He, he's the fire of judgment. He's the fire of holiness. He's the fire of brilliance. And now, uh, John is seeing those that had gone on before, those that had come through the persecution. We've already read about them, haven't we? In chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, remember uh, the, those that were beheaded for their testimony in Jesus Christ were before the throne and they were crying out to him saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, uh, wilt thou not judge and, um, and uh, uh, wilt thou not judge and uh, avenge uh, our blood upon them that dwell upon the earth? How long is it going to be? Chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. We also read uh, about them in chapter 12, uh, verse 11. We, remember when the, the dragon was declared war against the saints? And remember they, they uh, overcame him by their testimony and by the, by the blood of Jesus Christ, by their testimony. And they loved not their lives even unto death. Remember that verse? And then again in chapter 13, verse 7. Uh, war was declared against the saints and he wore them out. You see, the, he's talking about those that are suffering in time but are experiencing eternal glory. They're suffering here but they're rejoicing in heaven as faithful servants of the living Lord. And they have the victory. That word is Nike. They, they, they have, they, they are wearing the victor's crown. The Stephanos, they, they are the crowned saints of God who have overcome the wicked one in their life in this world. Hallelujah. And they, they have victory over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name, 666. Uh, and they stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. I believe, brothers and sisters, that groans will always precede glory. Groans will always precede glory. Romans chapter 8 is a, a dealing with those type of groanings. The groanings of nature. The groanings of, uh, uh, of the suffering saints. Uh, the groanings of the Holy Spirit. All of these groanings are here in time. 
but they are looking forward to the glory that is to come. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that those who suffer with the Lord Jesus Christ will also reign with Him. That's a promise. That's a promise. And here you see a glimpse of them. They're there already. They're there rejoicing in the presence of the living Lord. They have the harps of God because they have a song to sing. You see? They have a song. It's the song of redemption. And they sing that song in verse 3. It's the song of deliverance. It's celebrant. They're celebrating, you see. That's why when we have funerals, that's why when we have funerals, a lot of times we're very sad because someone that we loved here has been taken from us. But we should never be sad for the Christian that passes away because they're resting from their labor and their works do follow them. That's a promise, you see. I've spent a lot of time, time, my time in airports, and I can tell you there's a different experience. When you're at the departure gate, a lot of times you're leaving your family to go overseas, and there's some tears. There's an emptiness here because you miss them. That departure gate always has sadness. But oh, how wonderful is that arrival gate when those that have gone away are brought back. See, that's the way we need to think about the coming of Christ because when Jesus comes, he's not going to be by himself. When Jesus comes, he's going to bring the saints that have passed on with him. That's what the Bible says. He's going to bring them with him. What a day that's going to be. Hallelujah. Now, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, uh, saying, great and marvelous, there's that mega, uh, great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, the Omnipotent One, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Now, think about this. In Exodus chapter 15, we read about the song of Moses. And, and that was uh, uh, celebrating the deliverance of the children of Israel across the Red Sea. Remember what happened to Pharaoh and his army? Does anybody remember? Children, do you remember what happened to Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea? Oh, they drowned. I knew I'd get him. I knew it. They drowned. But the children of Israel crossed on dry ground. That, that's amazing to me. And, and it was amazing to Moses and all the children of Israel. The two, estimated two million children of Israel began to sing with Moses the song of deliverance. The song of Moses, the servant of God. Isn't that amazing? That's a song of deliverance. But he joins it with a New Testament song. That's the Old Testament song of redemption. But the New Testament song of redemption is uh, not uh, uh, the song of the Lamb, the servant of God, but the song of the Lamb, the Son of God. See? The so song of the Lamb, the Son of God. 
Now, what he's doing, he's showing the redemption that we have through Christ and his uh, offering upon the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. He's, he's combining the songs of praise and worship of the saints in the Old Testament with the saints in the New Testament and lifting up one song of holy praise unto the living King. And, and what is he called? He's called the King of Saints. But he's, um, if you have an Oxford Bible in the index there, it says could be translated nations, the king of nations. And why he does that is because Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 7, uh, Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 7 calls God the king of nations. And, and so they tie that together. But I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters, I love this translation. He is the king of saints, of, of saints in every nation. That's what I'm getting at. Of the saints of the Old Testament and the saints of the New, it's very fitting that he should be called the king of saints. Somebody says, well, Brother Jeff, the Holy Spirit didn't get, a, get here to the day of Pentecost, so how in the world are those folks on the other side of Jesus going to get to heaven? They're going to get to heaven the same way you and I get to heaven, brothers and sisters. Because the Holy Spirit was operating in the Old Covenant just like it was the New. He was regenerating the hearts of men and giving them faith with which to believe the promises of God. And now they both are singing the same song. Isn't that wonderful? I, I, that'll preach, Brother Nathan. That'll preach. He's the King of saints. The King of the ages. The King of nations. Verse 4, great question. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? He's emphasizing God's holy perfection that demands absolute judgment against all sin. We get that from Psalm chapter 19, verse 9, and Nahum chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. The God of heaven is to be feared. The God of heaven is to be respected. The God of heaven is uh, uh, to be acknowledged. And, uh, and those that will not or refuse, actually, to acknowledge Him in our day don't realize the danger that they're actually in. They don't realize it. But here He says... You know, God, your absolute holiness, you are the epitome of holiness. Uh, and, and all nations are one day going to come and worship before thee. Now, somebody says, well, that's why I believe in universal redemption, because that says all men, all men are eventually going to end up worshiping God. But that's not, that does not fit this verse. This verse, when it uses the word worship here, he's talking about to bow down. All nations are going to bow down. The Apostle Paul picked up on that language in Philippians chapter 2 when he said every knee, there's a day coming when every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, one day, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to worship, as it were, bow down before the living God. That's what he's talking about here. For thy judgments are manifest. For our judgments are manifest. 
Now, what he's emphasizing here is the last seven plagues. These are the ones that are going to come to pass. Remember last time we were together, we talked about Babylon. Uh, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And I emphasize the repetition of fallen is to signify that it is of a certainty that it shall come to pass. That's what he's talking about here. His judgments are manifest. His judgments are revealed. The last seven judgments against the wicked. Verse 5. And after that I looked and behold the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Brothers and sisters, when Moses was receiving the instructions for the tabernacle in Mount Sinai, when God met with him 40 days and 40 nights and he gave him the blueprint to the tabernacle and it had to be built according to the pattern that he saw in the Holy Mount, I believe what God was doing was showing Moses the heavenly temple. He was telling him the dimensions of each part of the temple in heaven. I believe it's real. I believe it's literal. And I think <clears throat> that I can prove by the scriptures that Solomon's temple was built on that scale. It was built after that design. And in that design, do you remember this? In that design, you have the outer court where there was the brazen altar. Then you have the entry through the veil into the holy place, the holy, uh, the, the, the holy, the holy place, the holy of holy place. And uh, there you have the shoe bread and you have the, the uh, candlestick and you have the altar of incense, right? And then you have another curtain. And that curtain divides the holiest of all. That curtain divides the sanctuary from the place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. Now, now follow me. I know this is getting a little deep, but, but just follow me just a minute. The Ark of the Covenant was the place where the Shekinah glory of God, the, the fire of God came down. And it could not be approached unto without blood and it could not be approached unto by anyone it had to be approached by the high priest alone once a year now why was that such a demanding and and if you'll allow me to use the word i'm, I'm, I'm searching for the right word restrictive why why was it so restrictive it was because of God's absolute holiness. He says, if you come to me any other way, you'll die. Death. They even put a rope around the ankle of the high priest as he went in with the blood. And I can just imagine him shaking, going in with this blood to pour on the altar, on the mercy seat. Inside the Holy of Holies, they had a rope around his uh, ankle so that if he did die, they could drag him out because nobody could go inside there and escape death. Brothers and sisters, there's uh, 
an evangelical misconception that we can have God any way we want Him. That we can approach God, we can worship God, we can do anything we want with God any way we want to. But I'm going to tell you that is unbiblical. We must come to God on His terms. We must come to God His way. And I believe that when this heavenly tabernacle is opened up, He's opening up the very Holy of Holies, the very uh, place where the Ark of God um, is, is, is pictured or symbolized, which is the absolute presence and brilliance of God's holiness and His holy character. And John was able to look up and see the activity in the Holy of Holies. And the only way he could do that is because Jesus Christ had died upon the tree of the cross. And when he died, do you remember this? When he died, the veil of the temple was rent top to bottom. It was opened. And the only way to the presence of God is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way he'll accept us. And I think that's pictured here. I saw this temple of the tabernacle, the testimony of heaven open, and the seven angels came out to listen to this. This is kind of spooky, but it's true. The seven angels came out of the temple having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts uh, girded with a golden girdle. And what this is, is a band. A band that goes from the shoulder to the waist. It's solid gold. It goes from the shoulder to the waist. And it's, a, it's, a, it's signifying a, 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 a title. It's sig like the homecoming queen. She'll have, she'll have queen, right? Or homecoming queen, I guess, on this band that goes across her chest, right? Am I right? And see, it's identity. It's identifying them. It's identifying them uh, uh, with glory. It's identifying them with an honor. It's identifying them with riches and strength and ability, capability to function. And it's all of gold. Picturing uh, purity and holiness. Hmm. I, love, I love what uh, Matthew Henry said. Uh, he said, untarnished glory. I like that. Verse 7, And one of the uh, four beasts or living creatures gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials. And that word vials is phaeli uh, in the, the Greek language. And it's a saucer or a bowl. It's a shallow. It's a, it's, it's, it's a shallow bowl that's held in their hand. And it's full of the wrath of God which liveth forever and ever. And I want you to notice that, which liveth forever and ever. That expression is found 21 times in Revelation. Forever and ever. He's, he's getting us to look into eternity as contrasted to this wicked old world. And then he says, and boy, this is the capstone. Then he says in verse 8, And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power, and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were poured out or fulfilled, completed. I just want to 
in closing, I want to uh, say this about that glory. Uh, he's talking about Shekinah here. The Shekinah glory of God that was seen in the Old Testament tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, and also Exodus chapter 48. It, it talks about the glory of God filling that tabernacle, that tent, with his glory so that the priest couldn't stand. And then again in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1, and Second Kings chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, when they dedicated Solomon's temple, remember the glory came down from God and filled the house, and no one was able to stand in his presence. But I'm going uh, to close with this. I want you to remember Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah was called to be a prophet of God, he saw... In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up. I've all, you know, I've thought about this a lot through the years. The word also. You know, <clears throat> it was a bad time in Israel for their king of 54 years to die. In the year the king Uzziah died. I didn't give up. I didn't move my residence. I didn't... Uh, become a, a part of another army or become disloyal to my nation. I, I didn't do that. I saw also. That's a big thing. Also, the Lord high and lifted up and his train what? This is what I want. Filled. Filled the temple. Filled what temple? The heavenly temple. Because he was able by God's grace and through the Spirit to look beyond the realm of time into the realm of eternity and he saw the heavenly temple there and the angels uh, uh, around the throne of God crying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Anytime, and by the way, holy is the only attribute of God that's repeated three times in the Bible. In the Old and New Testament, it's the only one. Holy, Holy, Holy. He's emphasizing the purity and the infinite omnipotence of the God that we love and serve. And brothers and sisters, there's only one way to approach him. You hear me? There's only one way to approach him. Jesus said, no man cometh unto the Father except by me. It's God's way, not ours. And in closing, this last thought, just as sure, just as certain is the salvation of all God's elect, just as true is the coming judgments upon the wicked and the gift of salvation for God's people. And it's all for his glory. Thank you for your good attention. Amen.